In December 2018, the gaming community tragically lost a good friend, Jerry Steffick, to cancer. An avid gamer, history buff, reenactor, and father, his love of family, friends, and his hobbies was always evident. Through the Jerry Steffick Memorial Crawl for the Cure 2020, his friends in the Midwest will perform mighty deeds to do good in his name, with proceeds going to the American Cancer Society for research and patient assistance. Join us on Twitch channel DCC underscore Mayhem on Saturday, December 12th. From 10 a.m. Central through midnight, watch games of DCC, D&D 5th Edition, Dark Trails, and Castles and Crusades. When donating, you can make in-game suggestions to be the boon or chaos for our troop of players. Make it wild and watch the insanity unfold. Plus, hourly RPG PDF raffles for our donors from our awesome sponsors. Goodman Games, Purple Sorcerer Games, Stiff Whiskers Press, Gamehole Publishing, and Troll Lord Games. Check out our site for more details at one word, crawlforthecure.net. Quest on, crawlers. Our goal, mighty one, our sacrifice begins. We commence. Spellbird, a podcast about the Dungeon Crawl Classics role-playing game. It's time to party like it's 1974. If you're scared to get your sci-fi chocolate in my fantasy peanut butter, turn back now. Tonight we look at the forthcoming Empire of the East product for Dungeon Crawl Classics role-playing game. And our special guest is none other than RPG writer and designer Jason Vay. I'm Judge Julian, and with me are Judge Jeff. I, I was about to say a joke about peanut butter and banana, but I choked on it. I don't know. <laughs> I guess that's a joke accidentally. But <laughs> And good evening to you too, Jeff. I just woke up from a nap. And Judge Jen. <laughs> I wish I was taking a nap. Uh, hi. <laughs> and our special guest, Judge Jason. So we're talking about peanut butter and banana. So you all, thank you. Thank you very much. (laughs) (laughs) Very nice. Uh, Well, I think we're uh, about one foot in the tavern already, so we will swing on over there. Welcome, friends. Good to see you. I only had one drink to calm my nerves. And give it a drink of your most expensive. Tavern talk. Here we are in Tavern Talk to talk about the gaming scene or our personal gaming scene or what have you. So, uh, Jeff, why don't you kick us off if you uh, if you can rub the sleep out of your eyes here. So, in Blades Against Bandwidth, we just finished up with Glip Curio's Gambit. Um, and now we are diving deep into the Croaking Fane. So, that's fun. Um, and I also don't know if I've talked about uh, what Forrester has been looking like lately, but apparently I now have like a rainbow streak across my face. I'm walking around wearing a giant um, half clock medallion. So I kind of look like uh, what's his fa- flavor flave, but it's just the top half. Uh, <laughs> and I'm just, and I'm, and, and I'm I'll just to remind you, I'm also a hobbit with one strength 18 arm. Uh, so my, 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 my little, my little hobbit fella has become, uh, quite interesting over the various um, sessions of Blades Against Bandwidth. And I've also got my weekly uh, old school essentials game that I'm running. 
And for spooky time Halloween, they went through a portal and ended up in Teagle Manor for a few sessions. Nice. Uh, that was fun. But now they are back into the real world uh, and just doing some more exploring of the Wilderlands. Very nice. How did, how was the body count in Teagle Manor? Um, so they did lose some characters, but none of them were their main characters. Mm. Some, some of the, some of the players had some kind of side PCs that died. Oh, well, that's, I'm sorry we couldn't whittle them down a little further than that, but you know, that's, that's okay. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I had a good, uh, virtual game home con last weekend, ran a couple games of Expedition to Algol and also my first time running Tower Out of Time. By Mr. Curtis, uh, which was oh, really fun. Oh, a classic! Yeah, it was re- a great adventure. Uh, I was a little concerned it was going to run short, but it filled up the four hours just fine uh, without even, you know, patching anything on at the end or anything. And uh, we had a good time. I, I would be not only would I like to run it again, I think it would be a super easy and apropos fun adventure to run for Mutant Crawl Classics. No, can I ask you a, a mechanics question on that one? Because sure. that's got the the puzzle pieces. Mm. Did you do that in roll twenty or the the door puzzle thing? Yeah. Uh, I what I did is I saved it. Well, how did I do this? Uh, I have the essentially I have the PDF and I took a screenshot of just the door. And since I run everything on Zoom, I uh, shared the, my you know the the window with the with the door and just made them describe what they want to do. Okay. So I just, you know, it's so it was less hands-on, but still got the point across. Well, I mean, it was about. It's probably pretty much the the equivalent of passing them out a one or more sheets of paper with the door picture. You know, I would say. Okay. So it's, you know, which is kind of how I roll anyway. So I think they only, yeah, yeah. It was a good puzzle. Let's just say that it was about. <laughs> you know, it wasn't. It's not impossible, but uh, it's a, it's a fun puzzle for sure. They they were getting second sight going. It might have been the only time I've seen people cast Second Sight without screwing the pooch, no matter how small their chance is. Um, it seems like when I'm running games, people always screw up Second Sight. So, uh, And then we got our City of the Damned campaign kind of restarted after a couple month hiatus. So that was really fun. And we're doing another session soon. And uh, yeah, we're at like on 27, it's 26 or 27 of that. So that's been a good time. Um, how about you, Jen? Let's see. The day after Halloween, we had our, what's turning out to be monthly international game. Uh, we've got Arimati from Finland, uh, Mihailo from Ukraine, I believe. Um, and then Clayton, I'm going to butcher his last name, I'm sorry, uh, Szymanski maybe. Um, we've got Eric Young coming in from Chicago, and then uh, Bob and I. And it's mm. become a thing where we're rotating who's running the the next adventure using the same characters. So yeah. kind, kind of like uh, Blades Against Bandwidth, but we're just taking the same cast and rotating who gets to run the game. So do you, when, so if you run a game and then Bob's playing the elf and then in the next game, Bob runs it game, do you play the elf and the elf kind of gets, the PCs get passed around like from no, the following no, the G- or everybody uh, has their own PC? yeah. Yeah, like uh, Arimati ran the the first two, actually. He ran the funnel on that one day when he was running 24 hours of nonstop gaming. Mm. Uh, 
So he ran us through this killer funnel and then uh, through something with first level characters. And he didn't have a character yet, so he had just started at first level for Mahilo's game. And we're all kind of taking different settings and, no, I want to run this one. So it'll be interesting to see what these uh, podunk dudes end up doing in Lankmar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, for Game Hole, I actually ran uh, the Demon Key out of our uh, esteemed guest's book. And uh, then we've got our, our weekly Shutter Mountains game. We got back into that, which was really nice. Very nice. And, uh, well, Jason, how about yourself? What kind, of, what kind of gaming are you up to these um, days? My two groups are, uh, we've been, we're meeting in person again. We have been since, uh, oh, several months, I guess, since... Uh, Lucky yeah, you. since well, since the curve originally flattened and uh, they, you know, they were opening things back up for people to go out again, my groups decided that it was safe enough that we could trust each other and just con- keep each other constantly appraised of where everybody is and if there's any risks involved at all, we just cancel the week and you know take some time off. But um, so my Friday group, which meets every other week, we just wrapped up uh, for the time being a D and D five game that I was running. And we're switching over. I'm going to be running a Unisystem game uh, in that Ooh. group. Uh, Unisystem's been one of my go-to systems for years. I used to write for them many years ago. So um, that's going to be like a kitchen sink uh, kind of Buffy the Vampire Slayer type game set in uh, New Orleans in 1925. So we're just gearing up for that. That should start with session one this week. Um, and then Sundays uh, is weekly, and my group meets... Uh, weekly on Sundays and we switch off games every other week. We have two GMs. So I'm running a night shift veterans of the supernatural wars game, um, in a, uh, a night world that I created, uh, called city of the twilight queen. Um, where the, uh, characters basically just recently found out that they've been working for the queen of the unseelie court, uh, in this city that's kind of inspired by, I took the movie Dark City and the TV series Lost Girl and smashed them together. Um, it's pretty much what it is. Uh, um, so that's that's kind of where they are, and they're investigating right now. Somebody tried to assassinate their patron, and they're trying to investigate that. And then uh, off weeks, we're playing uh, Blades in the Dark game um, that uh, my buddy Mike is running, and uh, my character in that just took a major step forward in his. Uh, his backstory, which is uh, um, kind of ripped off from Green Arrow, Batman, and the Huntress, all kind of put together into one character. And uh, he just tracked down and killed the man that killed his parents this weekend. Um, so that's basically where we are. In- You've got to have a dream. <laughs> yeah, and of course, you know, as these things do, that's not the end of it, because it's only the first step in a you know huge conspiracy that goes way up the ladder, so... What uh, what is it you like about Unisystem? I haven't played it very much. I mean, give me the ten. I second adore pick. everything about the Unisystem. Um, it is a system that is really simple, uh, easy to run. It gets it gets the heck out of the way and just lets you focus on telling the story. It really the rules just fade into the background. Um, especially the cinematic Unisystem. All you need to play the game is one d ten. It just it plays really fast. It's really intuitive. 
Um, it lets you do a lot of creative things. Um, and it just handles everything with a really simple, straightforward, unified mechanic. Hmm. So, Cool. Yeah, I must have some of the PDFs and stuff, and it's one of those things I read, and I always was like, ah, one day, and then you get pulled. There's, there's actually stuff. two different versions of it. There's the cinematic Unisystem, which they used in, in uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Angel, Army of Darkness, and Ghosts of Albion. Uh, and that's the yeah. really, really simple one that only uses the 1D10. Uh, and then they mm. have classic Unisystem, which is used in Witchcraft, All Flesh Must Be Eaten, Armageddon, and uh, Conspiracy X. And that one actually uses D4, D6, D8, D10, D12. Um, and it, it really is the same system. It just is a little more broken out. Um, whereas you might roll like a D6 times strength for damage in classic Unisystem. In cinematic, it's just three times strength. So they just take all the averages of those other dice and use them in cinematic. Uh, so, Got it. Yeah, sounds pretty. I've heard a lot of good stuff about Buffy, but it's so much played, fun. But... It just it is. You can do anything yeah. with the with. Hmm. Hmm. Well, excellent. Thank you. That's a good education. That's something I got to look for uh, at a con game one of these days. So, if you're running at a con game and you want to tip me off, somebody listening to this, and you want me to be in your Unisystem game, and you're not a really crappy judge, please um, they, go ahead and invite me. Just <laughs> drop us a line. And see- so that would be awesome. Caveats I like are important. Yeah, I like the, I like the uh, if you're not a really crappy judge disclaimer there. Oh, gosh. I, I mean, and I don't want to dissuade people or make people self-conscious, but oh, my God. Anyway, I will say at GameholeCon, <laughs> I did play in two games, Savage Worlds, which was, you know, which was pretty fun. Um, but the highlight, maybe better than any game I ran, was was uh, Larry Hamilton ran an AD&D game and it ended up just being me, my buddy Trevor and Forrest Aguirre and it was an AD&D city crawl through through ogres populating an old ruined city and uh, god I just had fun it was a really really terrific uh, little sandboxy type thing so that was a great time Um, so uh, shout out to Larry and to uh, Forrest and Trevor. That was a man. It's been time. years since I've actually gotten to play at a con game. I always have to run them these days because working. You know, I work yeah. for Troll Lord Games, so I'm always working their booth, and I always have to run the games. And there's never any time to actually play in con games. Well, that's just it. I mean, uh, you've got it, all that, these online cons. I, I don't do <laughs> yeah, the online and, thing. I just can't. I've tried it, and it's just you not know, for I, me. I dug my heels in. I'm like, no. And now, crap, it's all I'm getting. Yeah, so. <laughs> I've never cared for online gaming before the pandemic. But really, like, I've I've grown to appreciate it. Uh, if I have a choice between online or in person, 100% I'll pick in person. Oh, but yeah. my, my hardcore no thanks to online gaming in general, I've kind of gotten over in the past few months. I haven't. I've only oh, dug in harder. Too. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you just need a couple good games, man. <laughs> when when I think about all the the cool people I've got to game with online that we never would have seen at a con and that I'll obviously I'll right. never get in town, it's pretty cool. But I mean, you know, it's not the same as having the pizza grease on the character sheet, right? right? I mean, fair enough. But so there's a place for that. I'm gonna we'll also do that. For sure. I will say online gaming versus gaming at conventions usually smells better. 
no doubt. (laughs) Well, I don't know. It's a pandemic. People have been living in their own filth for months. (laughs) (laughs) Well, at at our house, hopefully, but you you get nose blind to your own smell, though, right? (laughs) (laughs) Wait, wait. I am not a proponent for this. (laughs) I'm also uh, less hungover at the virtual cons generally, but um, that's that's I can attest to that. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, enough said. On that note, I think uh, we'll leave the tavern at least for a few minutes and we'll go on to summon some emails. I call upon the flame to summon you. I will deliver the message for me. I came here to give you these facts. Summon email. And over here in the email bag today, uh, I'm going to virtually reach my pixelated arm in there and pull out an electronic message and hand it to Judge Jeff. Hello, esteemed hosts and guests. Hey, Uh, I've recently discovered the podcast and love it. I've also had the pleasure of playing online with one host and one recent guest, Dying Earth with Julian at DCC Days Online and Link Bar with Bruce. Would be great to hear your ideas. Thanks again for the show. James Harland, Almaty, Kazakhstan. So, uh, wow. James, if, if I'm reading your question correctly, I believe you're asking how we, how we assign a tech level to an item. Um, what makes us want to give a specific item a high number versus a low number? And for me, it kind of comes from two, from two angles. The first is how complicated would this item be to use for, um, um, for kind of what, what, what it's, I'm forgetting what is the uh, terminology that we use for these characters in this in this world. They're what age? Uh, uh, the just shy of Terra like AD is essentially yeah, the environment. I, I think they're they just don't... shy of like Bronze Age, honestly. They're oh yeah, they're, they're Stone they're Age for sure. Yeah, it's stone, okay, exactly. So basically, how difficult would it be for like this kind of Stone Age cave person to maneuver this uh, this object? If it's a flashlight, like I'm not going to give that a very high tech level. Uh, so to me, it's not about like where in technology it came from or like where we were in terms of like at the highest peak of technology. How complicated is it to use? That's the first half. And the other part is how volatile is this item potentially? Because also <laughs> since tech levels can often end in the thing exploding in your hands, um, I, I think, you know, how complicated is it to use and how volatile is it? I don't think about terms of usefulness and things like that. What do you guys think? Now, if I'm not mistaken, we have TLs and CMs for Correct. the complexity modifiers. Yeah. And that CM is what you're actually rolling against. The yep. tech level is uh, more of an indication of how high a level your character needs to be until you're able to use it, if I'm understanding correctly. I I agree with our fan writing in here that it is a little open-ended on that. I would... I would honestly almost ignore the tech level if you want the players to be able to use it and just set a complexity modify, you know, set a DC for it like you would in DCC and have them roll. Yep, I agree. I I will break it down just slightly more. I basically agree exactly what Jen said, but in a con game, I'm probably going to ignore it. And the reason being that uh, I want you to play with the artifact. So I'm not going to pr- have a, something that prevents you from playing with the artifact yeah. because that's that's how we mushroom cloud the end of the adventure. I, I like <laughs> that. That is my number one way of having TPKs and MCC is artifact checks. So 
I'm, I'm totally down for that. Um, having said that, it also takes some of the drama out because, uh, like, you know, a crazy, big, dumb mutant, you know, trying to interact with a super sophisticated war helicopter or something is kind of pretty fun as a role-playing thing or yeah. a comedic scene or whatever you might want to call it. So to say that it just doesn't work is not that much fun. Totally. Although you could role-play how it doesn't work, which could also be fun. It's like whenever I've run Warriors of Atos, it's like as soon as you have these characters who are actually trying to operate the headship, it's like this is great opportunities for things to go horribly south yeah yeah well and the dice will usually just do it to you at some point yeah but in a campaign i think that's more where that would really come out and you would be you might i don't think there's necessarily rules in there i believe it's based on intelligence and maybe in level or something like that but the but i might say well you can quest you don't really understand it but i'll let you overcome you know if nobody has the requisite in the group you could go on a side quest to get the manual of, uh, you know, of <laughs> Fitbit or whatever it is, uh, and that would allow you to learn how to use it. So I think it's more probably, I'd say it's one of those things you hand wave in a con game or short term game, and then you, but you really build up and add, you know, spice and plot to the campaign. I kind of, I don't, I don't run a lot of MCC, but where I am as a GM, I, I kind of judge. I kind of fall somewhere between Jen and Julian. Um, I tend to run pretty fast and loose. Uh, I generally don't put like it's the same as in 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 uh, a fantasy game. I'm not going to put cursed magic items in my fantasy game because if I give you a magic item, it's probably because I want you to use it. And the same thing goes for artifacts. If there's an artifact there, it's something I want you to figure out how to use. It's something I want you to know how to use. So I'm probably just going to slap the DC on there. And, and let you figure it out. And if you don't figure it out, again, you you might be able to quest to find something that will enable you to work it out eventually. Um, I, I I just I tend to ditch numbers wherever I can. I'm I'm a very fast yeah. and loose GM. So get rid of the fiddly bits. I've ditched the dice a few times. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Judge Gary's listening to this right now, going. Julian he would put a cursed magic item in there for the same reason Jason mentioned. He wants us to use it. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yes, that's true. So um, I'm a. And now I'm not lenient either by any stretch. I mean, I recently one shot killed my dad's character in a game. So. Um, <laughs> Ouch. Well, Ouch. So hardcore. <laughs> Jason, you are our Saberhagen dude. And like, we've got tons of people operating technology that is outside of their depth of understanding. How do you handle that in your game design? Um, you know what we, since we did, uh, the book in, in DCC instead of MCC, a lot of that didn't really come into play. We really wrote up the, the artifacts as just items that, you know, in, in, I kind of took the book as an example. I mean, in the book, in, in the first book, when Rolf encounters the elephant, he just kind of figures out how to use it and he doesn't use it to its fullest potential, but he figures out how to make it move. And it, it, once you figure out what the elephant is and what he's doing, it's actually pretty hilarious to read because he has a tank and he's all he can do with it is drive through yeah. walls. <laughs> like, <laughs> so I, that's basically the way we taught it. Like we just we said, this is what the artifact does. This is how it works. This is what happens if some player character picks up the fire hydrant and presses a button and go from there. 
So are we just looking at int checks or like you just you will pick it up regardless? I think we went with int checks. We did have some sort of tech level in there. I'm actually trying to remember because I haven't, uh, and this is my fault. I should have looked back over the PDF before we started this. <laughs> but uh, I, I'm going to be honest, and I, I'm uh, sure we'll talk about is. this a little later, but it, it's literally been about three years since I wrote this. Oh, wow. Yeah, oh, wow. <laughs> so, that sounds about right. Um, I think we went with ink checks, yeah. And there's a, you know, you can get a bonus uh, based on some training or... Right, you know, we did something, yeah, and, we did know, something in there with a skill uh, for technology or something that gave you yeah. uh, an, an ability to do better at your checks. Yeah, but, yeah. It, but it's definitely kind of how you were saying, Jason, uh, pretty, pretty minimal and invisible, right? You make a D20 and you put your intelligence modifier, your target is X, and you know, off you go to interpret that number. And just to put it out there, uh, especially for James Harland, uh, I would encourage you to go ahead and drop a note over to the Globern podcast as well, since they specialize in MCC. And rumor has it they may be returning to the air at some point within the next couple of months. If the stars are right, if the stars are right. If the if the glow subsides, all right, uh, Jen, are you ready to reach in and grab the next one? I am. This one comes to us uh, from Judge Tim, who's written in before. He says, "Dear Spellburn Crew, I'm glad you read my email out live about my setting uh, and." For anyone unsure which setting that was, it was the Pillar City Files. Uh, Since emailing you originally, I've decided to put a zine together with some of my pals. The first issue will be a small gazetteer on the low city one district of the Pillar and will contain a class, the Street Hustler, the Council of Necropimps Patron with Spells, a level one adventure called Necropimp and Ain't Easy, and a few setting rules and some fun random tables. As for a map, while the city's layers staggered slightly one on top of the next, the only connection that is well known between them is a massive spiral staircase known as the Street of the Gods. I have only really made maps of part of the low city, which is a warren of tight streets, dead-end courts, and tenement-style apartment buildings. The comment about the undead strip club? Yes, they take it down to the bone. I can't believe I just read that. Oh, wow. Well then. (laughs) Uh, I did assign these out in alphabetical order. I'm yeah, just that's say all your that, fault, man. Yeah, okay. But hey, necropimpin' ain't easy. I, I'd read it. Hey, I'd it, give it all, a shot. It's a tribute, a tribute to Necro Big Daddy Kane, right? It's uh, it's all good. All right. Um, hey, thanks, uh, Judge Tim. Uh, I'm actually, I really want to see that map. That sounds excellent. And I remember he had the city organized on the pillar, right? So yeah, this sounds kind of cool. I, I would definitely. Uh, and now this this came to us in June, so if there's something uh, you know ready to look at now in November, <laughs> five months later, uh, <laughs> drop us a line and uh, you everyone's know, had a, all sorts of free time to do stuff. Come on, yeah, send us a copy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Jason, you have anything to add? Mm-hmm. To that? No, I have nothing to add to that one. <laughs> you probably you didn't you didn't throw the x card so i I appreciate that um all right well it's my turn and i'm gonna come in here and grab a uh, an email from our favorite composer one of our most frequent uh epistolary friends 
Mr. John, Judge John Williams, rather. And uh, he writes to us, I'm just kind of curious to know what direction or purpose you see this podcast having going forward. I know it seems like almost all aspects of DCC have been covered already, question mark, have been covered already, but it mainly, it just mainly seems to be about interviewing people now rather than actually talking about DCC RPG. Um, and then, so we had a, a brief follow-up with him and I said, well, what do you, uh, John, what do you want to see? And he, uh, so he responded, uh, that's a good question. It's hard for me to say exactly. I guess one thing that bothers me is when you started using the timer on the podcast to limit how much time you spend answering questions from listeners. Sometimes it's like eating a light salad when you really want a thick steak or like watching the local news do a story about puppies just after doing a three-minute segment on a local crisis instead of having them go in-depth about the crisis for as much time as the subject deserves. Or like the podcast feels like the morning show of DCC RPG instead of the 60 minutes of DCC RPG. Like, mm. I guess I would describe it as the podcast doesn't feel as substantial as I would like it to be. I yes. get it. I'll go. So. <laughs> all right. Yeah, sorry. Sorry, Jason. John Williams yeah. doesn't want you here. So we, 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 we personally invited you on to have the anti-guest <laughs> email um, come out. Wow. And, uh, actually, I think I think he was a little bit more. To be fair to Jason and to John, I think he was a little more talking about um, episodes where we sort of have a guest without a sort of directional topic. So this probably wouldn't qualify because we've got it really targeted at a specific product and blah blah blah. But you know, um, we've we've also done episodes where we just have our pals or you know people in the in the DCC world who run a lot of games or whatever. And, uh, that, uh, that's not as focused and topical probably. Right. And, you know, uh, I mean, I, bottom line, this is not a commercial product. Well, so bitch yeah. all you want, but <laughs> none of us are making anything out of here. Uh, well, if anything, yeah. it's all coming out of our pockets. So it's ultimately buy-in for the community. We may seem like a mouthpiece for specific, products every now and then but usually it's because we are interested in those things and we think that the fans of dcc will be as well yeah i think that's fair jeff what do you think i don't know um i i think criticism and feedback is always a good thing um no that's not true i don't think it's always a good thing (laughs) um i think listening to it yeah i think listening to criticism and feedback with an open mind is always a good thing I don't know. I don't agree with this email. I don't believe that we're doing a morning show of DCC. I don't agree with the idea that we are not doing in-depth discussions about rules. Um, I don't really agree with any of that. Um, I, To me, it almost seems like this is somebody who doesn't like that an egg timer was used when his emails were asked, and now he's cranky. Uh, and sending us an email. That's kind of the vibe I'm getting. But um, but also, I, I do want to take in the criticism and listen to it. Uh, and I don't know. I don't know. You'll notice there's no timer right now. No, yeah, we did. We 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 did stop using the timer a while back. Um, and the thing is, the thing about the timer is, like, as soon as we started using it, we got a bunch of people who were like, "I'm so glad you guys are using that because, like, I felt like it was taking you guys forever to get to the meat of the show." But then, of course, then we got the wave of the other other side of that. So it's like, no matter what you do, people are going to bitch. 
That's true. That's, true. <laughs> That's certainly true. So uh, if we don't wax philosophical quite as much and we actually answer the damn email, that helps too. <laughs> targeted, you know, focused feedback on the email is good. Um, for sure. I, I, I'll just respond and say, um, you know, I, I will say I took it to hurt maybe a little more than my uh, peers, just in the sense that I sometimes kind of agree. And, uh, and, and it's not necessarily a bad thing. I, I mean, it's more a question of your taste. Uh, and, you, and John, Judge John, if your taste is more 60 minutes and less morning show, then I mean, I'm not certainly not going to tell you you're wrong. I actually, you know, mostly agree with you. I don't feel real strongly about it. But, but I, you know, that's my preference, too. I, I think we've had plenty of episodes that do both, and I don't think we had ever really stopped doing the one and were kind of exclusively doing the other or anything like that. Um, however, you know, I think we're kind of both going to have some pretty light, fluffy ones and some more focused ones, you know, uh, and and probably continue to do that. Um, you know, I, I one thing I tried to start doing those adventure-based ones not really responding entirely to this feedback, but I've gotten similar f- feedback from others. And I've also just kind of felt that, you know, maybe a little more targeted, focused, topical stuff uh, would be really interesting and would just kind of go, you know, get into game design with, re- <laughs> I have a chance to actually pick Harley's brain and Michael's brain. Like, I don't even care if people are listening. <laughs> like, I actually get to do that. Like, so I'm going to do it. So, uh, so hopefully that kind of scratches your 60 minutes itch. But I would say certainly send us some suggestions like that. I'd love to hear um, suggestions. And the last, sorry to cut you off, Jeff, because we'll come right back to you. But um, the last thing I'd say, kind of building on what Jen said, but taking it a little further, the ethos of DCC has always been kind of DIY and a little bit of the punk rock thing from way back from our forebears or whatever. And, you know, honestly, if you think that there's a DCC podcast that is that is out there that could be done and is not being done, you should do it, you know, and, and don't worry that you're not going to get paid for it. Cause just like Jen said, we certainly don't, we certainly aren't. So there's no, nobody will come and give you the official, uh, you know, seal of approval or anything. You, you certainly are totally, uh, there's no, nobody would be stopping you. And I, I would encourage and more the merrier. I would encourage you to realize your vision and go ahead and do it. Um, so, uh, so, uh, and I'm not, and not being sarcastic and not saying, you know, America love her to leave it. I'm saying, Hey, make it real. Yeah. Great point. And just to give this a little bit of context too, I just took a look at the date that he sent the email and then looked at what episodes we had right before that. And the three episodes leading up to this was our episode where we did kind of the deep dive into the DCC annual followed by the episode with David Beatty discussing dark trails and then we had an email episode where we used the egg timer. So mm. looking at those three, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't agree that we weren't discussing DCC. You know, I think mm. the DCC annual, we were literally looking over a book that took six years to make. And we were discussing <laughs> all of the new rules that were not all of them, but we were discussing a lot of the new rules that were introduced and a lot of the new kind of setting ideas and David Beatty's take on Dark Trails DCC is very different. And I, I feel like we did a really kind of deep exploration of what makes Dark Trails different than other DCC. 
you know? So I don't know. Personally, since this comes right after the email episode with the egg timer, honestly, I think that's all he's really saying. I think... I think this is somebody who's saying, I don't like that you guys were using the egg timer. I think that's all that really was. I wouldn't even read that much into it, knowing that there are people who are still, like, just now coming into Spellburn and starting with either episode one or random episodes and kind of running the gamut back and forth. I don't know if there's even that much rhyme and reason to it. Well, Judge John, I would say uh, email us and uh, tell us what you think. You may have changed your mind, or you may feel like we have changed our style, or you may obviously have done neither of those things, so let us know. Uh, And others, um, I I think this is a pretty interesting email. I'd love to hear from everybody on this subject, so, uh, you know, go ahead. Let us know what you think. And Jason's probably like, oh, my God, really? Egg timer? (laughs) So... Well, no, we're going to use it on Jason in Mighty Deeds coming up here. So Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> no, no, no. Do you see what I have to work with here? Come on. All right. So uh, with that, I think it is the perfect segue into our Mighty Deeds. Let the combat begin! Let the death! Why behold, our hero. Huh. So you want to play rough, eh? Well, take this! Mighty Deeds. All right, here we are, and Jason's been waiting patiently through all that drama to talk about Empire of the East and, and plenty of other stuff. Uh, so, uh, Jason, welcome. Uh, it's been, uh, you've, got, you've been a guy out there doing RPG stuff for quite a while, and um, unlike plenty of the people that we get here, certainly not everybody, but, um, you know, have done a lot of stuff uh, pre-DCC uh, as well. Um, and a lot of OSR stuff. So um, I don't know how, you know, some of our listeners are going to know your name pretty well and others not at all. So um, I'd love to just have you give us kind of a, an overview of how you got into Pedigree. game design and um, so on. I actually, I've been doing this professionally for about 21 years now. Um, I first got into it with uh, Palladium Books back in around 99. Uh, I was a big fan of their Nightbane role-playing game, and I published an article in their Rifter, which turned into a full-source book for Nightbane, uh, which is now out of print. And uh, after I parted ways with Palladium, I wasn't sure um, where I was going to go, what I was going to do at that point in time. And I kind of stumbled into Eden Studios. Um, George and Alex from Eden saw that I had a fan website up for their game with a bunch of fan supplements, and they really liked it. Uh, contacted me to write for All Flesh Must Be Eaten, uh, and I did three source books for that game. Uh, somewhere along the line there, I, uh, well, it was, I mean, I guess it was around 2005, Castles and Crusades came out. And um, what I think what a lot of people don't realize is that Castles and Crusades, even though it's really not an OSR game, it kind of launched the OSR. Um, Osric mm. came about as a as a response to Castles and Crusades, uh, not strictly as a response, but partially as a response to Castles and Crusades. Um, and then after Osric, we know came uh, Swords and Wizardry and all of the other games. And uh, I eventually put out my own spellcraft and swordplay. Um, but uh, so in that area, I kind of fell into Castles and Crusades and the OSR at the same time. From Eden, I kind of moved into working with Troll Lord Games, where I still am today. I've, I mean, 
there's been a bunch of other com- companies along the way that I've done little things for here and there. Um, but, uh, recently did a, you know, uh, over the past couple of years, I've done a few things for Goodman. Um, some of which are still waiting for, uh, publication, uh, and announcement, but, uh, I'm in the pipelines. You're in the pipelines yeah. So, yeah. so it's it, a strange it is. Place yeah. To be. <laughs> Goodman can take a long time to get things out of the pipelines. So it's, it's, uh, they, they really put a lot, like probably Goodman probably puts more into their game publications than any company I've ever worked for. Do you mean as far as art or promotions? No, or? no. Um, um, the, the writing, the editing, the multiple rounds of editing. And uh, they literally came back to me like a year and a half after this book was written and said, we've got other stuff that we want you to add to this game and i was like holy crap like i've already been paid for this <laughs> like so uh it's impressive i mean it, it it can be stressful as a freelancer but it's really impressive because that's why their books are such high quality in the end they they really put that much effort and thought into what they put out i, I personally feel like these editors are completely out of control that they, I mean, they really need to be kind of just pushed back into their cage. And, I know, uh, right? That, that Terry out. guy and that yeah. Mark guy. And <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, keep going. Yeah. Um, <laughs> hey, I, I, I gotta, I don't want to get pedantic and way off track, although I kind of like getting off track. But when you said CNC is not an OSR game, I kind of, I'm, so I'm a CNC guy a little bit. I, I ran a game for about three years. Had a blast and really enjoyed it and would go, I mean, I've always kind of, I've got so much stuff and I only don't go back to it because I've already played it and there's many things that I never did, you know, so it's sort of water under the bridge, but I would love, at the drop of a hat, would love to play it more or run it more. But how is it not an OSR game? Where, where are you drawing that line? Well, I think there's a difference between a game with an old school mentality and a game that identifies as an OSR game. Um, the OSR is a very specific kind of informal movement within the industry, or not in the industry, but within the community, the greater community. Um, and Troll Lord, while they don't, they, they certainly don't eschew the OSR, they certainly don't have an issue with it, and they're certainly proud if people want to consider their game an OSR game. They don't identify themselves as an OSR game. Mm-hmm. Uh, just just like my, my company, Elflare Games, I certainly put out old school stuff, but I don't identify my company as an OSR company. The reason for that isn't because I have a problem with the OSR. It's because it puts you in a box. There's a lot of people out there that won't touch your game if it has the letters OSR on it. Hmm. So Interesting. Um, it's, it's very different to say that your game is an, has an old school mentality or an old school approach and would appeal to the OSR crowd than to say that I am a member of this specific osr group of games that's fair um so it's actually so, your and again it's it's not in any way disparaging the osr community it's just from a business standpoint you don't want to put yourself in a box of a certain it's better to dip your feet in both pools right yeah, and it, and i and i get your it actually makes i think it's super logical to say if you don't self-identify as an osr game i'm not going to call you an osr game you might have things in common with them or you might have old school mentality etc cetera, etc cetera. but you don't you know if you don't actually want to put the logo on your book you know 
or call yourself right. that. I mean, that makes a certain amount right. of sense. And, and by the same token, if somebody else wants to say that my games are an OSR game because they fit into the OSR, great, that's fine. I'm not going to go out of my way to tell somebody, no, don't call me OSR. Mm-hmm. It's just it's just of how you as a company identify yourself in your game. Yeah, because personally, I feel like the o- the OSR label is way more often prescribed by the community and the fans of the game rather than the designers and people marketing the games. Exactly. And I also feel like all too, uh, not maybe not all too often, but very often, um, when people say an OSR game, they specifically are talking about retro clones. Hmm, uh, yeah. They're talking about games that very specifically reproduce the play feel and rules of D&D or Marvel superheroes or, you know, one of those old school, specific old school games. Mm. Um, and again, like Castles and Crusades, while it very much feels like old D&D, does not reproduce the rules of AD&D in any way whatsoever. I guess, mm. but I feel like Black Hack and so. Maze Rats are absolutely OSR games and they are in no way trying to faithfully re- replicate anything. I'm not actually. I'm actually not even familiar with those okay. games. Well, so, yeah, but so, hey, let's bring it home and say, what about DCC? Because I think it stands similarly to C and C, in terms of it's a different oh, take. Yeah. It's very old school mentality, but it's built on but, three point five mechanics, right? Yeah, for sure. And, uh, I mean, um, it is. It's it's built on or even three point but yeah. How many times have we heard it referred to as a retro clone? Yeah, which is weird to me because DCC is a lot of things, but it's definitely not. No, a I've tried. Clone. I, actually, I don't in, think I've ever heard it called a retro clone. It's a story game. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's there's another term that I don't I don't think it's used often enough, which I think would apply to C and C to DCC uh, to a lot of other games out there, which are um, nostalgia games or simulacrum games, and those are games that nostalgia don't hits. reproduce the rules, but they reproduce the feel and play style. Yeah. Of, hmm. of the old school. Which I feel like too. a lot of people would, I would say exactly what you just said as the as what their definition of the OSR is. Yeah, and that's that's yeah. fair. You know, again, it really comes down to like who identifies what as yeah. what. You yeah. Know? Well there, again if yeah. There's no wrong fun, damn it. So um how did you get involved yeah. in this project? <laughs> <laughs> um it's actually funny because I I was not originally signed to write the DCC version of Empire of the East. Um, I was hired, uh, Steve Chenault from Troll Lord actually hooked me up with Joe. Um, I had known Joe in passing for a, a long time just from being associated with Troll Lord, but uh, Joe, as I understand it, this is secondhand information, <laughs> but as I understand it, Joe had asked Steve if he knew anybody that that was good with 5th edition D&D material because he wanted to bring on some more freelancers for some 5e projects, and Steve recommended me. Um, so I did, uh, I did a, um, adventure module for fifth edition for them, which oh, I think yeah. is in the pipeline. Um, which is Wasn't called, that one of the free RPG day releases. Uh, if it was, I never heard that it was released <laughs> and I don't have a comp copy of it. So I don't know. Um, what was it called? Uh, give me what a second. I I'll have to look it up. Cause I don't, hmm. I don't remember what the, uh, uh oh, no, I'm sorry. That was. Black Horror and Blackwood Forest. Oh, it's called. Okay. I don't think it's been announced yet. It's still in the pipeline. Oh, okay. Uh, they they might have wanted some minor changes to it that that I didn't have time to do, so it might be sitting on that account. Um, 
But I did that, and then I did uh, I did another source book for them that I'm not going to talk about because I don't recall whether or not it's been announced yet. But it's another license book. Ooh. Um, from there, that led to uh, Empire of the East, uh, and I did a fifth edition version of Empire of the East, which is in the pipeline right now. All right. Um, from there, I, I had written that and turned it in, and then I heard from Joe uh, a couple weeks later, and um, I don't know who the original writer was for this or what happened, but for whatever reason, they weren't able to to complete the book. So he said, if I send you what we have, can you take over the project? Um, at the time, I didn't really know Dungeon Crawl Classics. Um, I had seen it a little bit. I had messed around with it once or twice, but I, I didn't really know the game. So um, I had to take some time to actually like really dig into the rules and read the book cover to cover and get to know how the game worked. Um, and he sent me what they had of the DC of the DCC Empire of the East manuscript, and um, it really wasn't remotely finished. It was it was very much like a quarter of the way done in draft format. Um, trying to remember what all was done. Maybe a couple of the spells, some of the spell names might have been there. Um, and I just said to him, why don't we just go back and look at what I did for 5th edition. We'll start with that, and then we'll build the DCC one so it'll look like a similar book from both ends. And he thought that was a good approach. Um, so basically, we copied over all the fluff from the 5th edition version, hmm. um, and then started working on the mechanics and just banged away at it until until we had a workable draft interesting um and there was a lot of back and forth with the editors again because i was getting adept with a brand new system while i was writing this um but uh, i i'm really i'm super pleased with it and uh one of the coolest things that ever happened to me was when i got an email that was copied from the saberhagen estate talking about how much they loved it so yeah that was that was really really cool that is pretty so, awesome I, uh, I, I will t tell people a little bit about it because not everybody. So it is today available to backers as a PDF. The hard copies are not out there. But uh, if you are a backer, you've uh, probably read it, read through your copy. It's got terrific art in the Goodman tradition. Uh, Stefan Pog and uh, some Doug stuff, as well as uh, wonderful Russ Nicholson stuff. And... Uh, William McCausland and, and just tons and, Brad, and tons of great sure. and Brad. Yeah. yeah. Here's a Brad piece. Yeah. There's plenty of good stuff. All the, all the names you'd expect. Um, the, uh, the classes are interesting. If you're familiar with Saberhagen's work, um, there is, you know, there are no elves and dwarves in the empire of the East books. Um, and I suppose we should, you know, give people a 10 second overview. You know, it's a book about a sort of fantasy setting that is basically post-apocalyptic, right? So that there are, there's ancient technology and stuff, but at the same time, there, it's very classic fantasy, right? There's forces of evil and the forces of good and there's, or law and chaos essentially. But, you know, there's f epic fantasy battles, there's talking birds there's you know it feels like a fantasy it doesn't feel like a big gonzo gamma world thing it feels like a fantasy classic fantasy novel that also has a tank in it no but it it also to me it's very much the archetype of where gamma world came from and where uh cartoons like thundar the barbarian 
they all started with Empire of the East, I think. Yeah, Hmm. you use a turn of phrase in one of the introductory paragraphs that calls it deceptively fantasy-flavored. And I have absolutely been using that as my intro spiel when I run uh, the funnels in here. Because it, it's absolutely perfect. You know, yeah, okay. it's a post-apocalyptic game that masquer or a post-apocalyptic setting that masquerades as a fantasy. Yeah, I mean, yeah. so just imagine being about fifty millennia in the future when human race, you know, the human race was nearly extinct, and you're trying well, to come back a, from there, it. <laughs> yeah, there was a there was the. I mean, the shtick is that sometime at some point, thousands of years before it starts, there was a nuclear war, um, and these two. The two sides in the nuclear war, which are probably assumed to be the United States and the USSR at the time, um, had these supercomputers that were designed to stop missiles. And they clashed at the same time as all these missiles exploded. And that like just completely changed the entire world. And it made nuclear reactions impossible. And it brought back magic. And it created demons and... Uh, thousands of years later in his other books would create gods um and uh humankind kind of regressed because they forgot how to use all this technology because a lot of it didn't work anymore and you know and that's basically the the back the whole backstory of it so yeah but i would say i mean thunder yes right it has a pretty good thunder has a little more of a conan thing just in the story and stuff to me but but I think you're exactly right in terms of magic and super science. But Gamma World, I would, I don't know, it just doesn't have a, you know, Gamma World kind of goes into mutations only versus this is more focused around magic and the science is kind of extra. In, That's in, fair. That's know. fair. But but by the same token, there are definitely uh, mutant animals in uh, yeah in Empire of the East. You know, yeah, no, which are very Gamma World thing. Yeah, yeah. So. And, and yeah, I mean, it's weird how that totally kind of, that's a place where the post-apocalyptic trope crosses right into the fantasy trope of the fairy tale animal, you know? Yeah. Uh, and not for any, I mean, of course it does, right? Because they all came out of the same literature anyway, but. Even the zero level occupation uh, trade goods, you know, you've got the pack beast or the flying beast, it's never actually stated, you know, size or shape of this animal because it's kind of, you know, it's going to be some sort of mutation. Leave it to the players to explain it. Right, right. Um, and, I mean, Jim Jim Ward, who wrote Gamma World, might disagree with this, um, and he would certainly tell you that Gamma World came out of his Starship Warden uh, setting. But um, I, I, I still... I definitely see the roots of what would become Gamma World in Empire of the East. Hmm. It's it, it might not be like a, a direct correlation, but I think the roots are definitely there of what would eventually evolve in gaming into things like. It would be I'd be love to talk to Jim about that and ask him how familiar he is with this because in fact the Warden in a way is almost more like Empire of the East where it has the very specific setting, you know. Um, I mean, even though it's a totally different you know, setting, but anyway, that would be a great question to put to him. Um, I'm happy to announce on the on behalf of scapegoats everywhere that there are no clerics <laughs> in uh, Empire of the East. Jason, we have a, a long running, uh, I guess, uh, and it, 
if I may, there's also no apology for that in Empire of the East. Whereas with Lankmar, okay, we'll we'll give you a fleeting luck and you can spend luck to, you know, heal a hit, die, etc. No, there is none of that. This is hard and dirty. <laughs> there's no cleric, there's no healing. There might be something that you find along the way, but there's no... Oh, well, there's the healing pools. There's Drawfoot's healing pools. Yeah. Um, so How often that, do you that... run across one of those in a funnel? Come on. <laughs> well, in a funnel, yeah, absolutely not. But that's the point of the funnel to to pare everything down, right? So, well, and if I if I were to continue this into a campaign, I would absolutely not put one of those pools anywhere near where my characters are staying. I I would make it a once in a lifetime shot to find it and maybe bottle some of it. But I would never make it a recurring thing. I might be inclined to scatter some sort of healing technology around here and there for them to find on occasion. But yeah, um, I could, only because there, I think in, in an ongoing fantasy game, there is kind of a need for that. Um, if you don't have some sort of technological or magical healing, you have to do something to beef up the rate yeah, at which your yeah, characters heal damage. Never is a harsh word, I know. <laughs> well, but you, uh, but to Jason's point, you do have the that healing pool example that was in the second book, I think, right? Yeah. Um, in which, which could certainly be kind of strategically placed around the campaigns to, uh, or or kind of variants on that. Uh, it's certainly there in the literature. For sure. So, um, and it's written up also in the uh, in the uh, product. Yeah, um, I think kind of one of the cool things about the setting is that you can really do whatever you want with it. I mean, the examples of technology we have written uh, what appears in the book, but like you could go, oh, okay, look. So we have these healing pools that that you know Drawfoot looks over, and they have these these pods that come and pick up the wounded and carry them there. Well. In a lot of ways, like if you're looking at something like Star Wars, that's kind of like a back to tank in Star Wars. And if they had something that advanced, certainly there's got to be portable versions of that running around somewhere. You know, it's not in the book anywhere. But if I'm running the game, I'm certainly inventing inventing things like that based off of what's in the book. One of the interesting things in the book also is magic is... Um very limited in the presence of iron, right? Yes. And that makes it a really, it's actually, it's really interesting because it kind of makes, um, it's, it also sort of increases your genre reproduction a little more because it makes it much more likely to be about combat and clashing troops and stuff. The, and puts the mages more in the sort of support and artillery role kind of, it does, and I might be misremembering this, but I don't think in the book it's so much iron specifically as it or is metal. when when weapons are drawn yeah. for the purpose of shedding blood. Uh, uh. So it's not just being around metal; it's about being about around people drawing weapons of war. Page twelve, Julian. It's the so. drawn weapons spell check penalty. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I was. I was assuming it was at least metal, but it's actually not. It's it it's be, not. Uh, it's it's weapons of war. But I am convinced, and actually, I'm, I'm I post on the ODD OD and D the ODD seventy four message boards all the time over there, uh, and we had a big debate recently because I'm convinced that that's the source 
for why mages couldn't cast spells in metal armor in Dungeons and Dragons. Hmm. I'm, I, I'm convinced that's hmm. that's you know now there's that's not to say that's the justification for it because there's all kinds of justifications as why mages can't cast spells in armor. They can't move. Yeah, they, you know, blah blah blah. I could but see Saberhagen plus Vance equals no casting in metal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's 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 that was the origin of it. And then the justification for it came later. That's that's my theory. Yeah, that's uh that that's certainly I think in play, you know, when I read the book, you you're like, oh, okay, that's interesting. And that 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 can play a lot differently when you have a you know, that means that you're much more likely to have a party be four, you know, three or four warriors and a thief and a wizard, right? Instead of mm-hmm. Two wizards, two thieves, mm-hmm. two warriors, right? Because well, and your wizards going to have to think in advance a lot. They're mo- yeah. they're much more likely to summon an elemental or a Sandiston or a demon, and you or a Sandiston is Jack Vance. I'm sorry, not yeah, uh, an elemental or a demon, um, and keep it to use when they can't cast magic. They'll send the demon out to kill somebody, you know, or they'll send a. So your your wizard, I think, is going to have to plan in advance a lot more. A lot of these spells, which some of them are breathtakingly wonderful, and I wish they'd existed long, long ago, uh, but a lot of them take a turn to cast as opposed to a round Mm. or an action. Yeah. So it is premeditated. Magic is very much ritual-based in in Empire of the East. You don't have spell slingers. And based on that, are the spells in the DCC core book that that have a casting time of one round, are those now changed to one turn? Do we address that at all? I don't think we changed them, but I think we did talk about how a lot of the spells in the DCC core book might not be appropriate for this campaign. Yeah, there's actually a table on page 15 about what spells you may or may not have, and it's a lot more the size of your cleric spell list. I'm glad you have this printed out, because you can call out page numbers so I can jump in the PDF. I've been living this funnel for uh, since like <laughs> June or July. <laughs> yeah, there it is. Yeah, uh, wizard spells on the changeling earth. So we actually have a list of which spells are available. But interestingly, you've got no. Uh, so I might have a slightly different version because it's on page seventeen. So I might have an earlier. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm looking at the page numbers that are printed on them. It probably won't be the same. Uh, no, I am too. Page number as your PDF. Yeah, my PDF has it on page 15, but mine is an early mm-hmm. preview oh. version. It's not, excuse well, me, it's not the final version. I just belched but, right into my microphone. But probably we've got, um, I mean, but noticeably, right? I, assuming it's pretty much the same list. I mean, you have no burning hands. You have no magic missile. You have no Correct. color spray or sleep. Correct. So it's like level one is animal summoning, charred person, detect magic, evocation, find familiar mending patron bond right patron bond we'll probably get to a little bit later is expressly optional because there technically aren't any patrons in empire of the east um but yeah that's that's, a place where you'd almost use ai patrons right you'd almost shift it to mcc style well if if you wanted to you do but you you don't you you don't want an mcc ardna chooses you that's the that's the difference you can't you can't just choose to bond with Ardna or Orcus. They nice. choose you and you don't have a choice in the matter. So oh, man. patrons are expressly optional in this and they, they work very differently than, than they do in a standard game. 
And Soothe um, Creature is amazing. I think that might be one that takes less than a full turn to cast. Yeah, but but uh, to address what you said, yeah, I mean, in a lot of ways, Ardna very much is an AI patron. Um, and we had, uh, Joe and I discussed for a long time whether to do this as DCC or MCC. Uh, originally, it was an MCC book. Um, and in the end, we decided that um, for the most part, MCC is a DCC source book. Yeah. So agreed. we didn't, we did not want to do a source book of a source book. So we figured it was better to do this as a DCC book and then mention MCC where it was important within the context of this. Book. Right. And to me, yeah, to me, it fits. It's a, to me, it's a fantasy novel with post-apocalyptic or sci-fi elements instead of the other way around. So to me, that makes perfect sense. But, you know, I think reasonable people could disagree. So aside from the changes to the magic system, are there any other additions, subtractions, or changes to the kind of core rules of DCC? Psychic combat is a new thing between wizards. Ooh, tell me about this. Um, it, 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 <laughs> I, I'm, I'm refreshing myself on it because, again, it's been a couple years since I did this, so I'm looking at it right now. Um, can it's I also similar, say that based on your 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 disinclination to having too many fiddly bits, I'm very ex- I'm I'm even more excited to look at this uh, to look at this. Yeah, it's 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 about the, it's about the size of one column on a half page. That's the rules. Nice. Um, it it is similar. So there's no spell duels in Empire of the East. Psychic combat kind of replaces spell duels. Um and uh essentially instead of using spells to throw back and forth at each other two wizards kind of psychically lock into each other and just try to deal direct psychic damage to each other cool so that's kind of uh we were talking about the role that wizards will play in battle that's kind of what wizards end up doing in battle they can't cast spells so they're going to be just brutalizing each other psychically keeping each other out of the way. That's that's essentially what, what the idea is and what you see in the novels. Oh, um, Jeff, you'll love this. A sorcerer can gift a spell to another. I was just going to get to that. Yeah, that's oh, another thing. Sorcerers can give spells to other characters, even characters that aren't magic. Hmm. Um, but but it's very rarely done because it's very costly to the sorcerer. Um they basically like if you want to give a fourth level spell to another wizard, uh, they they'll get it as like a spell like ability, but then you have to permanently lose a second level spell from your daily casting. Mm. Wow, oh, that is a high cost. Yeah, um, and there and there are spells that there are characters in the book that, and I'm trying to remember exactly who it was. It's somebody on the Empire of the East side has a spell-like ability that they got from from a wizard. Um, it's one of the lieutenant... I, I, I always joke about this, but it's really true. If you think about it, these books, the way they read, they read kind of like an old-school video game where the characters are battling their way through a level through progressively tougher villains, and then they fight the boss monster at the end. <laughs> um, it's one of the lieutenant, quote-unquote, uh, bad guys that has one of those abilities. And I, I can't remember for the life of me which character it was. Um, when, uh, you know, just to just to play off that for a second, Jason, when I, I read them about three years ago or something, kind of all in a row, and what I remember about it is 
they're they're each they're probably each around two hundred pages, maybe a, maybe a little more, a little less, depending. Yeah, they're pretty short, but there's they've got such an epic sweep. You know, I felt at the end of like six hundred pages, like I'd been through <laughs> all of the Lord of the Rings, or um, but they or, read so fast and so yeah. easy. Like no, and I just I really I really enjoyed how uh, you know epic they were, even though they were you know very approachable, didn't suck up months and months of my life, right? Um, and didn't I didn't you know have to hear about you know in the back room the second lieutenant was clipping his nose hairs you know for wondering about the right for he, two pages yeah about, he doesn't spend a whole chapter describing the woods that the characters are walking through. Yeah, I mean, yeah, uh, yeah it's just uh, it's very focused on the drama, and and having said that, there's some pretty interesting characters and you know interpersonal stuff and all. There's certainly you know kind of stock good guys and bad guys, but um, it's uh, it's 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 really well done. I re- I think I read the first book of Swords and I didn't really care for it, but I really quite enjoyed these three books, and I felt like they really packed a ton of stuff into. Yeah, and it's into uh, three novels. It's really funny because um, I knew Saberhagen from the books of Swords and from, especially from his Dracula novels. Which, if you've never read his Dracula novels, you must. They're so good. Hmm. Um, I was not even familiar with Empire of the East when this whole thing started. Uh, when when Joe asked me to write it, he said, "Can you read these books and see if you can do a license on it because we have the license?" And then he told me that they were a prequel to. Uh, the books of swords and i was like seriously there's a prequel to books of swords yeah i'm all about it let's do this hmm. um and and like you said they read so differently than the books of swords um but they're fast and they're fun um you can definitely see that saber hagen was a young writer like he, he he hadn't really grown into his craft quite yet but it they're just really engaging and really fun to read were they actually written before the Book of Swords, or did he go back and... No, no, these were written before the Books of Swords. Oh. Yeah. I'm just trying to steal as much thunder from your appendix and appearance as possible, that's <laughs> all. But, <laughs> I can, uh, nice. Um, but Jeff, you know. going back to what, what additional things, we also have a system for spell enervation. Okay. Here, and which... kudos, man. Everyone uses that word incorrectly. Enervation means to draw from, to drain, not to embiggen. <laughs> yes. Um, You'd it, be surprised it, how many people do, do the opposite of that. Sorry. Enner- enervation <laughs> actually replaces corruption in D- DCC. Oh, cool. Um, and anytime you roll a natural one on a spell check, um, you roll on a table to see what happens, how many points of spell enervation you suffer. Okay. Um, and it is devastating. It's devastating. It 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 comes off of your strength, agility, and stamina ability scores. I like that though because I feel like in the appendix end we see examples of wizards and sorcerers being completely exhausted from their spellcasting far more often than we see um, the really kind of wacky side effects. Like sure, uh, Shilba and Nimgobble have been completely. Uh, corrupted by their magics but for the most part this kind of spell innervation does seem like that's more in line with the with the roots right right and it only happens when you roll gonna be using this man (laughs) yeah it only happens when you roll a one on your spell casting check 
but mm-hmm. like you can take you can I mean if you if you end up rolling a one on the spell innervation table, just your strength, agility, and stamina all drop to zero. Wow. Um and it and it comes back slow. Like your ability damage comes back at the rate of one point per day. What happens rest. if you got a strength agility and stamina of zero? You fall into an immediate coma and you awaken three days later with one hit point and your physical abilities restored to a value of one each. Wow. So and and you 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 morph into a bald guy with a chaos chaos symbol on his forehead. <laughs> laying on his back with like Nosferatu claw hands. There's a great picture by Stefan uh, in here of the enervated uh, wizard. Nice. Dude, um, e- even the 20, if you roll a nat 20 for your enervation, you're still struck down, passed out for an hour. So you are out for the count. Yeah, but you don't take any ability damage. Right, you just miss all of the action. Yeah. <laughs> Which is... Yes, so very appendix end. So uh, yes. yeah, aside from the rules for technology and stuff like that, that's um, Empire of the East. Really, it it goes to great lengths to talk. It's weird because it goes to great lengths to talk about magic, but it really doesn't give you a lot to define what magic is, how magic specifically works. We had to extrapolate a lot in this hmm. based on reactions that you see characters make in the book. Like you see a you see a wizard fail to cast a spell and he gets super weak and passes out. You know, so we're like, okay, we'll do a spell innervation. It's it's he's he's Saberhagen and I actually kind of like this because I hate books that spend like an entire volume explaining how magic works. I tried to read Feist's Rift War Rift War Saga and I gave up because the whole first book is explaining how magic works. I like the fact that in Saberhagen's work works magic just does and he'll throw in what's important like wizards can't cast spells when somebody draws a sword you know okay we know that's a rule but he doesn't have to go into great depths to give us but by the same token that makes it trickier to write the game rules for it because i don't have as much to work with there there it does really feel like this is a uh, you know the empire of the east is really is kind of a a focused and narrow kind of a thing. It's only 600 pages. The The product is, you know, focused on replicating that. And it has like a long, you know, it has stats for all the NPCs, the characters of the novels and stuff. Right. And then yeah. the monsters in the book and so on, which is, which is, you know, entirely appropriate, but it seems like you could also use this to do some totally different stuff just as a toolbox to do more of a Thundar thing or almost even more of an Elric thing. You know, it has it has very sword and sorcery vibe too. You could throw out all the artifact stuff and sciencey stuff, and you could you know you could probably play this as a straight sword and sorcery type set. I think that's totally valid. Yeah, I absolutely think you could uh, with the demons and the jinn and the elementals and the yeah and the way magic works in it. Um, I, I think you absolutely could use this to you could you could ditch the setting and and just use this as a toolkit to build your own sword and sorcery game. Yeah, and you could you know if you want to pull in three MCC things and a bunch of DCC things, and you really insist on having magic missile or clerics or whatever, you just throw them in, you know. But but uh, no, it's great. Um, 
No, I, I think this is a pretty fun product. I've uh, I had a good time going back through it again. There's just a ton of terrific art in here. What, uh, Jason, what's, uh, the, so obviously, you know, you finished this up uh, some time ago. Actually, I will, I will say um, there are two adventures in here too. Um, one is they're both like listed as level one, level zero to one. Um, and Jen, you've run one of them. Do you want to say anything about the demon key? Uh, the demon key, I've actually run as both a funnel and as first level. And yeah, I mean, basically it starts as the beginning of, I, I think the first or second book, you know, you've got the quiet little homlet that up until today, when the satrap and his forces start marching in on you, you've been just quietly existing and avoiding the notice of everything. And that fragile illusion ends. And so you have to uh, take some steps to hide what they are term- terming the, the demon key. And as Jason mentioned, it's just one of those things where it's an artifact you're not sure how it works. You just know that it does. And it's it's been really entertaining. I think I've run it probably, I want to say, eight times this year just as a convention game, maybe six times. Um, but it it's really compact and finish in about uh, three minutes, three hours, 20, three hours, 40. So right in the perfect sweet spot for a convention game. Hmm. And and Jason has a, f- a funnel in here as well, um, called uh, simply Invaders, that uh, that I think is is super straightforward, um, but kind of brilliantly simple in terms of you know your peasants and the soldiers come to capture you and carry you off in chains and you run like hell to get to the forest to join the rebels basically. Yeah, and uh, which is which is kind of you know part of the uh, the first book I think right at some point Rolf has to offend you know yeah it's very much inspired by what what Rolf goes through in the first book it's it's a little more um, I think it's a little more over the top um, yeah. Rolf doesn't actually get I don't think Rolf if I remember right isn't actually involved in the invasion I think he comes home to find that his village has been invaded. And right. please, whereas in this adventure, you're living in your village and the empire, the, yeah, the, you, the armies of the east just come tearing in. You are Rolf's right. family. Yeah, so basically you you're Rolf's fr- family, you, yeah. You have that first encounter where they actually barrel in there and start, uh, you know, so that's true. But, uh, but I, I really like the, like, it's totally open-ended, so if you want to um, just have it be uh, skulking and trying to get away. It would be very tense, almost like a horror movie, or you could, of course, throw monsters in there, or do anything you want, and it would be uh, so very uh, um, flexible type of uh, thing, especially easy to run on the fly. So that'd be, I, uh, I would actually use that one to start a campaign with if I had to choose between the two. In fact, hmm. the reason I hadn't been running it is because it's a little bit more sandboxy and I wasn't familiar or comfortable enough with the setting yet. Yeah, I kind of really wanted to focus on introducing elements of the setting in 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 my funnel. Um, and um, I, I mean, I'm not going to say whether it's as good as Harley's or uh, it was the first time I'd no, ever. No, they, they I, both it, have merit. It was the first time I'd ever tried to write a funnel for DCC. Um, and oh, I well. and I know they came back to me a couple times with "You need to add this" or "You need to change this" or you know. 
um, to, to kind of And we all know Harley doesn't know what he's doing. No. <laughs> no, I mean, you know. But yeah, it was so we kind of had to hammer it into shape a little bit. Um, but I, my my pure focus on that was like, let's introduce the Empire of the East. Let's introduce some of the iconic monsters and let's introduce the free folk at the end of it. That the was, silent people. Yeah. Are the, the owls, uh, the giant uh, owls. Are these uh, in the 5e books too? I don't recall if we have an adventure in the 5e books or not. Oh. the Because the, 5e doesn't really do funnels. Right. That's true. Right. That's why I'm asking. But you, you might still have kind of a kickoff. Yeah, yeah I'm looking at I'm looking at my uh do I have um <laughs> I don't know if five E has actually even been laid out yet. Um Wait, well, the Saberhagen setting is being released for five E as well? I wrote the five E one a year before I wrote the DCC one. Oh, is I that coming that. out yeah. through um uh, Troll Lords then? No, it's it's Goodman. Yeah, yeah, oh. yeah. Oh, it's, it's oh sort I of seem a double, to recall uh, yeah, I really hope I didn't announce yeah. something that that hasn't been no. announced yet. No, no, okay. no. This has been. This <laughs> I, has been... The, there's this little thing in the back of my brain that, oh yeah, he probably announced it and you ignored it because it wasn't DCC. Yeah, because exactly, <laughs> honestly, anything and 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 sorry, Jason, I know that you write the five five E stuff for for Good Big Games, but I paid zero attention to the five E stuff that Good Big Games puts out. I'm I'm not I'm not remotely offended by that because I get the same thing with the five E stuff I do for Troller Games. Yeah. <laughs> all, all of the Siege Engine people are like, we don't care about fifth edition. Fifth edition is its own audience. You you yeah. write you write five E stuff for a five E audience. Yes, um, yes, that is true. Uh, I'm looking true. through the manuscript right now for the five E one to see if I have an adventure in there. No, it doesn't look like we do. So five uh, E people who checked out this podcast to hear about Empire of the East, um, just remember play DCC because you get more value. It's <laughs> time to play DCC. <laughs> Um, no, you can play both. Uh, well, play here's the DCC thing: in the five E version, then take it to your five E table. In, in the five E version, the character stat blocks take up a lot more space, mm, yeah. like a full column for each one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're lucky, yeah. not as bad as Stat Finder. But well, and still. we did, and actually, it's even worse than that because we did like for Rolf. There's like three or four different stat blocks for Rolf, mm. oh, covering right. oh, his for the different phases of his life. Yeah, okay. yeah. So, so Jason, what's, uh, tell us about your future. What's going on? You got stuff in the hopper here or, uh, I'm not working on anything specific for Goodman right now, which isn't to say I won't in the future. I would love to, um, I was working on a project for them that I don't think I'm allowed to talk about, but I had to back out of it because I was just too busy with other things and it was a really intensive project. Um, so I did some stuff for it um and i'm looking forward to that coming out but no right now um i'm doing a lot of work with troll lord um we're we're uh we're closing out a lot of kickstarters right now um which is just consuming all of our time and i'm working on a bunch of stuff for my amazing adventures game line uh which Mm. i'm the sole author on for troll lord right now um oh very cool it is and it isn't. I'd love it if more people would would <laughs> offer to write some stuff for Amazing Adventures. Um, is it in CNC or Five E? Uh, we have both. Um, oh, cool. We just released the the fifth edition uh, Amazing Adventures. Um, oh, I just got a warning that my computer battery is running low. Um, <clears throat> we just got we just released the uh, the Amazing Adventures fifth edition rules. Um, 
and uh, May or June, I think, somewhere around there. But we're going back to, we're doing a lot of focus on our Siege Engine stuff right now. So we're gearing up sometime early next year. We're going to do a kickstart for the next printing of the Siege Engine version of Amazing Adventures. Um, so I'm cleaning up that manuscript and putting errata in and making a few tweaks and rules clarifications where that needs to be done. Uh, working on some more source books and stuff for that. And then for my company, Elflare Games, I just released my um, Night Shift Veterans of the Supernatural Wars RPG, which I wrote with Tim Brannon, who uh, uh, a lot of people in the old school community will also recognize his name. Um, and uh, that is a old, uses old school mechanics that everybody will recognize. Uh, we basically took the mechanics from those... Uh, old school D&D style games and codified them in a way that they haven't been codified before so that they're very easy and intuitive to run and, and use. And we built a game that is designed to do any sort of horror or supernatural or urban fantasy game that you want to run, modern, that you want to run. That sounds cool. So, and I'm working on the first source book for that and the first couple adventure modules for that right now. Jeez, this so, is your day job, isn't it? Uh, it's not my day job. I wish it was. Wow. Yeah, I really wish it was. If I could make enough money off of this to quit my day job, I would love to. So so maybe in another 21 years. Uh, uh, yeah, we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's great. It's great to hear from somebody who's, uh, you know, spiritually with us. And, and Troll Lords, I think, is like... Uh, you know, a counter, like a weird it's counterpart. It's the stepbrother. Yeah, Troll, or, Troll yeah. Or and Goodman Games are good friends, the, the two companies. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, the, uh, if you look in the monsters in DCC, you see the illustration of the Troll Lords. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, Jason, it's been great to have you, um, and it's been great to hear about Empire of the East. We look forward to seeing the finished product and uh, getting people's feedback and questions on it and all that good stuff. Uh, I think there's a lot of stuff you can do there, so... Uh, with that, we are going to make our way off the stage here, but thanks for listening. Uh, for sure, email us uh, at theband at spellburn.com. Leave us some iTunes reviews. We would love to have your bumpers, obviously. Uh, hit us on Facebook, uh, Twitter, Discord, MeWe. And uh, don't forget, we have some Patreon pages out there for friends of DCC, like Mr. Curtis and... Also, the Appendix N podcast. So uh, hit those up as well. And with that, uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. And nothing else to say, but uh, thanks, Judge Jason. Thanks for having me. And you're welcome. And game on. You've been listening to Spellburn. Copyright 2017. Theme song has been graciously provided by Glitter Wizard. Learn more at glitterwizard.fancamp.com.